Almighty God, I come to you now as your servant, asking that the words that I speak this morning would not be mine, but they would be yours. Asking, O oh God, that those who hear and receive these words would receive them not only in their minds, but their hearts and deep in their souls, O oh God, that place where only you and they go. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I would do your will and not my own. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Alright, so the uh, reading, <clears throat> the gospel reading that the sermon is based on, um, is, is one that, I don't know, when, it, when I was in school, and I still find the story incredibly humorous, um, in, in the fact that if, if you're a smart kid, um, <laughs> it just, it, to me it's just humorous. Every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as they always did for the feast. And when it was over, they left for home. The child stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it, thinking he was somehow in the company of the pilgrims. They journeyed for a whole day and then began looking for him among the relatives and the neighbors. And when they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. They didn't find him until the next day in the temple. And he was seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And the teachers were all quite taken with him, impressed with the sharpness of his answers. But his parents were not impressed. In fact, they were upset and hurt. His mother said, Young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. And Jesus responded, Why are you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my Creator? But of course they had no idea what he was talking about. And so at that point he went back to Nazareth with them and lived obediently with them. And his mother held these things dearly, deep within herself. And as Jesus matured, growing up in both body and spirit, blessed both by God and the people. You understand why I think the story is great? The, the humor of the story? <clears throat> How many of you, as a 12-year-old, could have pulled this off? Yeah, I didn't think so. Me either. I mean, I, as close as I come to it is the, the story of, you know, I went, I skipped school and, and went to a cup game and had pulled that off dramatically until a home run got hit and my mother happened to be home watching the game on TV and saw me running for the ball. <laughs> so, and, and the response was much like Jesus's folks. Um, I wish I could say that I was obedient after that, but I, I really wasn't. What is it about this story, though? I mean, I think it's funny. First of all, put it in today's context. I don't, didn't you tell me the story? Wasn't it you? Your dad left you at a funeral home? No, they traded me in once. Yeah, there you go. 
story. But they went to buy a new car and they traded in the old car. Well, that was a basket on the back seat with me in it. They got in the new car and left. So when they came back and said, you know, we left something in the car, we need to get it. So can we get the keys? And the, and the guy says, no, you made a trade. Everything that's in that car belongs to us now. And he says, well, you want the kid? <laughs> uh, just, you know, <coughs> anybody else? <laughs> I, first of all, it's hard for me to imagine how that happened. Um, and I think you actually told that story one time because of me preaching about this, and I still had a problem. How do you, you know, and, and it happens today, does it not? We get kids, they get left in cars, and it becomes a very dangerous situation very fast. So what I find humorous, though, about this story is because it's actually believable at this point that he could have gotten lost with the rest of the pilgrims traveling and that his parents wouldn't have given it a second thought. He's probably with relatives. And I mean, when, when, when you did these uh, things, they were very long caravans. I mean, it was, and if you look at them today uh, over there when they travel from one spot to another, by it gets real spread out. If you've ever been part of a um, age walk, you know, that gets very spread out. You all start as a tight group, but by the time you get to the end of it, it's pretty spread out. So it makes sense. And it also makes sense that his parents were going crazy. Now, what doesn't make any sense in this story is Jesus' response. Because I know that when this sermon's been preached before, other people have said, they go, isn't this wonderful? He was just so smart. See, this just proves he was God from the beginning, amen? And we're all sitting here as regular, everyday church folk, knowing that if we were 12 years old, had been missing for damn near 48 hours. And when our parents saw us, and after they got over that, and they said, oh my God, you're okay, right? We got our butts warmed. And especially if they said, what are you doing? And, we, and, and you get this smart aleck response. Whoa, what are you worried about? Didn't you know I was supposed to be here? I know how my parents would have reacted to something like that, and it would not have been pretty. So I want to know what happened here. It's the next it's the next sentence that tells you what happened. It says they went back to Nazareth, and Jesus was obedient from that point forward. Folks, this is, this is how do you relate when you have a special gifted child? It's a great story for that. You know, we're, Billy and I watch uh, Young Sheldon. Have you, have you two seen it? I mean, I, it's a scream, right? Because here this kid is, he's so smart, he's almost too much for the parents to handle. But every once in a while, the parents win, don't they? Because they have to put their foot down, they have to be parents. And that's what happened in this story, is that look, no matter what you think about God, no matter what you think your calling is, 
You can't scare us like that. There are some rules. There is some process. And Luke doesn't make a big deal out of it. But they had to go back and, and Jesus eventually, or, you know, was, was, he, he was obedient. Now, let's pull back one more layer. Why did he have to be in the temple? What was it that was so incredible about what he knew about God that would pull him after the Passover back into the temple at risk of getting in trouble with his parents. And that's where I came up with, I think it was because of his understanding of God. And Lance always worries about me putting all these balls up in the air. It goes back to what you were talking about, James. You know, this, this whole idea of what Christians should do. If we're going to make that statement, then let's make the statement because we have this wonder about our God. And so I wanted to give us eight things to think about, and they're quick, so don't look at me like that. Um, eight things about your relationship with God. Number one, remember that God is always greater than whatever your need is. That God is bigger than whatever that challenge is that you face. I mean, folks, this church is 22 years old. And we continue to do things that other churches don't even think about doing. That I, we, have, we have people say, we can't do what you're doing. We're a small group, but man, the stuff that gets done in this place... God is, has always been greater than our need as, as a church. God has always kept us going. You know, I, my favorite story to tell about this church is when it comes to the, the, uh, um, the potluck. You know, we've never planned that out. We've never sat down and, and made the rules. You remember in some groups, if, if your name begins with A, you bring the salad. If your name begins with B, you bring this or that. We have never done that. Never in 22 years, and we've always had enough food. And by the way, do you think God had a hand in the planning today? Because, Michael, you didn't bring anything today, right? Neither did Billy. Do you think God knew how many people were going to be here today? I'm telling you, God is greater than your need. God, number two, is greater than your enemy. That's why we've been taught to forgive. Because that forgiveness is about us. Leave all that other garbage to God. God is far greater than your enemy. Number three, God loves you more than you do. And what's the evidence of that? That's why we have Jesus. is the perfect example that Jesus was provided by God to give us a pathway to what? As Billy said earlier, love. God loves you more than you love yourself. Number four, God's plans for you is always better than yours. 
Um, and this is probably, in this day and age, a hard thing for us to sit on for a minute, but it's really true. What was the welcome to the new week that I sent out this week? Be still and know that I am God. Somehow in the rush of the world, we don't sit down and take that moment to just be cool. I know Billy drives me crazy, you know, because he's got his way of, of just kind of bringing everything down instead of it being rush, rush, get this done. You know, he has the ability to just kind of bring it down. And sometimes I sit there and I look at him and go, what are you doing? And what he's doing is just bringing things down. It's what God does for us. Be still. Know that I'm God. Number five, God will always give you what's good for you. And you can think of examples of those times we were talking, again, we were talking about it today. The, the opportunity where God nudges you in a particular direction and you just know that the only way that that happened is because you were there at that time. And it was God that sent you there because you were prayerful about that. And so God knows what is good for you. God, number six, is always available to you. Always. It does not matter where you are. It doesn't have to be a formal prayer. It doesn't even have to be in church. You could be driving down the road. And I know there's lots of times on the expressway that God has been right there for me. Amen? Amen. Number seven. See, this is going pretty quick. Number seven. God gives you what you can never give yourself. Does that, does that line make sense to you? What do you, what do you think I just said when I say that? Because I, 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 I played with this sentence for a minute. Forgiveness. God gives you what you can never give yourself. Okay, you forgiveness, Mike, what do you think? Integrity. Integrity? Huh? Second chances. Second chance. Bingo. Those are all things. This is a self-worth statement, folks. That God, by providing us with the example of Jesus, by saying that we are all part of this creation. Here, I get to say it again. You are wonderfully and uniquely made in the image of God, and that is enough. That is God giving you what you can't give yourself. I mean, you know, the exercise that I, I try with so many people in this church is you got to stand in front of the mirror right after you get out of the shower, right? You know, no clothes on. Stand in front of that mirror naked and run yourself down. Run down your body and give God praise for every part of your body. And people look at me like I have lost my mind because they're saying, no way, Pastor. Well, that's because you're comparing yourself to what? what the world says that you're supposed to look at. But God has given you what you can't give yourself, and that's total 100% unconditional love. 100% total acceptance. And number eight, whatever God gives you can't be taken from you. That's why Romans 8 this morning was is such a good, good reading. What shall we say about this? 
if God is for you, who can be against you? Well, nobody. Unless you let them. Unless you let them. And thank you. That brings me to my last portion of the sermon today. Because I have heard in my time in the office, when I sit down and I tell people that they're wonderful and and so forth and so on, and they look at me and go, no, Pastor, it just, you know, it's not gonna work. And and they give me a reason that they can't be involved in the church or they can't practice their faith and they can't do this or that or the other thing. I took about 30 minutes to make this list. Do you know, when you sit there and you think that God can't use you and you're not worthy, just remember this. Noah was drunk. Abraham was allegedly too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was allegedly ugly. And that's, you know, the way societies are. Sarah was too old. Joseph was kidnapped and abused. Moses, did you know Moses had a stuttering problem? Yes. Yep. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and he was a womanizer and it caused him to lose his hair and his strength. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were considered too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. And oh, by the way, what they don't say in traditional churches, he was also probably a bisexual because him and Jonathan were in love with each other. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked, which would not make the moral code today. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was, well, you know, Mary Magdalene. The Samaritan woman was divorced, not once, not twice, but five times. And on top of that, she was a Samaritan. Zacchaeus was too small and a tax collector. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And oh yeah, Lazarus was dead. Now, there is nothing about you that is not good enough for God. Amen.